0: Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Sanchez. This is the Rick Sanchez podcast. I'm so glad that you're there. Let's have a conversation, shall we? Uh, I should tell you, I'm a little busy these days. I've got a gazillion calls from news networks and reporters and doing radio interviews because something happened in the United States, which is uh, at the very least extremely noteworthy and apparently newsworthy. You know, news people should not be the news, but in this case, they are. So, in case you don't know, Two very famous people on cable news in the United States have been fired. One of them is on the left. His name is Tucker Carlson. I know Tucker. I've been on Tucker's show many times. And the other one is Don Lemon. I know Don Lemon. Don Lemon and I were hired together, actually almost on the same day when we both started in the business. Now, let's just do Don Lemon real quick, because what this goes to, and this is the thing that I've been saying is, Both of them are a representation of what's wrong with the media. Both of them represent their point of view. They live in their silo. In other words, I am Tucker Carlson. I work at a place where 98% of the people are white. Many of them are angry with other Americans, and I will get large in ratings, and I will get famous by growing them and keeping them there by saying the things I know they want to hear. That's Tucker, right? Don, same thing, but on the other side. Don is very much a lefty. Let's just say it. I mean, he's uh, he, he's not a guy who wants to have an understanding of how the other side thinks when it comes to Republicans or, you know, conservatives or whatever the hell you want to call it. So So Don is kind of stuck in that place. So is Tucker. And now both of them are gone. And that's interesting. And I don't know if this is the, you know, We're looking into the future of things to come that maybe this extreme rhetoric will be diminished. I doubt it, but that's wishful thinking. Scotty, my producer, was telling me there's this video going around and that this is the video that everybody is using to show why Don Lemon was problematic. Maybe why CNN let him go. Not that this is the reason or this video is why, but that it's emblematic of what Don Lemon represents. And I want to play this for you, okay? Because I, I want you to hear it. It says a lot about America. It says a lot about who we are right now. And it says a lot, frankly, about, uh, about Don Lemon, okay? This is an interview he's doing. And, of course, he's there, You know, the, the, the issue of race comes up. And, and I think the point that, that this guest he has, his name is Vivek Ravanswani, uh, he's a Republican, and he's saying... Seems to me the point he's making is that African-Americans, in some large measure, because of Republicans and even some conservative movements, or what we call conservative movements today, back then got their rights. They, they, you know, slavery was done away with by a Republican president, Abraham Lincoln. And I know it's not so long ago, but still, all he's saying is, that was a step forward, right? They got their freedom. And I guess on paper, he's right, they did. They got their freedom. All of us who know anything about American history know that just because you get your freedom doesn't really mean you get your freedom. But, but that, that, that's, that's a side point, right? And, and, and this is where Don wants to go. It's a nuanced point that Don needs to make, but he doesn't make it in a nuanced way. And now I want you to, let, let's just listen to the argument together. Okay. And as we listen to the argument, you tell me who's playing fair and who is not. Here it is. So, With well, due respect, I find,
1: I find your explanation reductive and actually insulting, including to black Americans, to say that black people today, compared to 1964, 1865, haven't made progress in part because of the freedoms we secured. And the Second Amendment was black part
2: people, of what we secured Hang on, please. Frame. I cannot keep a thought if you guys are talking to me in my ear. So, uh, hang on one second. So to say that, that black people... Now, by people, the way, that's Don, that's, that's, Don
0: complaining way. that the people in his IFB, you know that little thing we anchors wear where we're talking... He can't hear the guests because the producers are talking, so he kind of, you know, castigates them publicly on the air. Not a good thing to do. If you're an anchor, you should probably say something like, hey, guys, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, I'm going to ask the guest to say that again because I couldn't hear him because you were giving him instructions. No big deal, right? But no, he sounds like he's kind of castigating, like yelling at uh, at, at his own producer Uh, on the air not a cool thing to do by the way so okay but that's neither here nor there let's go back to the argument that black people
1: say, say what you said again Black people secured their freedoms after the Civil War. It is a historical fact, Don. Just study it. Only after their Second black Amendment rights were secured. Th- th- That's were a fact. not
3: secured their
2: freedoms after the Civil War. That is not, you are discounting uh, uh, Reconstruction. You're discounting a whole host of things that happened after the Civil War when it comes to African Americans, including the whole reason that the Civil Rights Movement happened is because black people did not secure their freedoms after the Civil War and that things turned around. People were, tried to change the freedoms that were supposed to And you know how they the got it? They got their Second Amendment. Rights
1: yeah. and they actually got the NRA played a big role in that. But today, down the fine, The NRA did not play a big role. Absolutely, they trained black Americans how to use firearms. That's a lie. That's not the NRA did not play a big role. This is just historical the, fact. But down the historical The part that I just find because you say it's a historical the fact. The part that I find insulting fact. is when you say today black Americans don't have those rights after we have the gone through civil rights revolution in this country. you
2: are sitting here telling an African American about the rights and what you find insulting about the the way I live, the skin I live in every day. Here's where you and I have a different point of Black
1: and white that black people Don't have in this he, country, here, and that black people do have. Well, here's where you and I have a different point of view. I think we should be able to express our views regardless of the color of our skin. We should have this debate I'm not saying without shouldn't me express regarding your views, you as a think black it's man, but me regarding here, you as a fellow citizen. That you're That's what I'm here, we should see.
2: whatever ethnicity you are explaining to me, whatever about ethnicity, I'll what tell it's you. like to be black. Whatever in America, ethnicity I am, I'll tell you what
1: I am. I'm an Indian American, I'm proud of it, but I think we should have this debate. Black, white, doesn't matter. I think we should have this debate on the content of the ideas. You should do it in an honest way and in a fair way.
2: And what you're doing is not an honest
0: you have. We, we appreciate right to you talking. With thank due God, respect, Don, I look forward to continuing that
2: mind. conversation. We'll thank you. We're we'll raised. Thank
1: you. are not blind. Thank you, Papa. We'll talk about China. Wow. Yes. Talk about China. I, you come back. Oh, thank I you. Much to say on declaring far. independence from China. And, 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 and that, on now,
0: thank you. Thank you. I'm almost. You know, part of the story here with Don Lemon is that, and and maybe this is not just Don Lemon because I've done this too. By the way, I've been guilty of this too. I think we all have. You know, they catch you on the wrong day, and you get a guest, and instead of listening to him, you start arguing with him, and once you go down that rabbit hole, you can't control yourself. And the guy's just saying, look, hey, um, they did get their freedoms after the Civil War, and then Don's coming in and making an appropriate point that they did, but they really didn't because they still had to go through Jim Crow and all that other stuff, right? So I get it. I get it. Reconstruction, all of that is part of history. And it, the, that freedom wasn't really ever refined. You could even argue it's still not refined. There's still things we're going through. We know about them. Election law violations in areas where people are African-American. So, But it's a, it's, it's a, it's a minor point that should be added to the other guy's point. But instead, he's telling the other guy, no you don't know what you're talking about, and you have no right to talk because you're not black, and I am black, so there. Which then makes you ask yourself, then why the hell did you invite the guy on to talk about something like this? If you're telling him, until if you're not black, you can't talk to me about blackness. If you're not black, you can't talk to me about race. I mean, that's kind of what Don told the dude, right? And the guy says, wait a minute, I'm an Indian American and we're Americans and we should have a right to talk about anything. But instead, that's where Don goes. Now, the, the, the reason I do find that, that particular clip interesting is I was doing an interview today on Newsmax, and Rick, uh, whose name escapes me now, the former uh, representative from Pennsylvania who's always on CNN. Uh, yeah, Rick, uh, the guy from... Sorry, say again? Yeah, Rick Santorum. Thank you. Rick Santorum, thank you, Scotty. So Rick Santorum is on, and they asked him, like they asked me and everybody else about what's going on with Don Lemon, and he says, I refuse to be on a show. Because if I go on a show, he's just going to argue with me, and he doesn't want to hear my point of view. That's fascinating. Because what we're hearing now, and what Scotty confirmed for me a little while ago, that part of the problem with Don Lemon was that he was being too argumentative, and that he wasn't allowing people to make their points. And I think that's what we just saw with this guy, Vivek, right? I mean, is, isn't that what we were listening here? Let, let's listen to the end of this now, and uh, and see how they how they finish it. But I think we should have this debate
1: black white doesn't matter. I think we should have this on debate on the content of if the you're ideas. Do it. You should
0: do it in an honest way and in a I fair
2: think... way. And what you're doing is not an honest and fair way. Okay. It, with, but we appreciate you coming on. With, with due, due respect, Don, I look Thank forward to continuing that conversation. We'll Thank you. The conversation. Thank, Thank you so much. So, Thank you, Papa.
0: He calls the guy a liar. He calls the guy a liar on on national television. Not cool. Again, you know, unless you're talking, we're arguing opinions. And opinions, generally speaking, you know, unless you're giving a specific fact. And they weren't arguing about a specific fact. They were arguing about their interpretation of freedom. It's like people can have different interpretations of freedom. Because somebody has a different interpretation of when freedom happened or whether something happened having to do with freedom disagrees with your point of view. You cannot just go on national television and call them a liar. And I think that's kind of what my friend Don Lemon uh, did there. This this article, if you haven't read it, and if you're interested in this case, of a very uh, well-known newscaster who happens to be African-American, also happens to be gay is fired by CNN. I know a little bit about being fired by CNN. And he's now fighting with CNN about this uh, firing. And a lot of it has to do, apparently, with this magazine article in Variety where they interview many, many people who've worked with him over the years, most of them women, by the way. This This is interesting. Most of them women... Who say he's mean, he's angry, he's nasty, he has vendettas, he goes after people, blah, 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 blah. I mean, Kira Phillips says he was mad at her because she got a good assignment, pardon me, good assignment to go to Iraq. And when she came back, he had littered her desk with stuff like a child or something. This is what the article says. I don't know. But there's a lot of information there about. Dodd lemon having these anger issues and now these videotapes are popping up that scotty just shared with us where you can see he's kind of angry and a little unfair in his interviews and not that he did it one time we've all done it one time or twice no there was a pattern there when people start saying i don't want to go on cnn because that guy was going to yell at me or embarrass me or that that, that, then then you have a problem And that's kind of part of the discussion that's going on right now. Meanwhile, Tucker Carlson is out. In case you haven't heard, you may have heard of Tucker Carlson, no matter where you are, because he has always been... Tucker Carlson's case is different. Tucker Carlson embodied what he knew he had to say to remain on Fox News. Look, Fox News viewers are 98% white European Americans. And a tiny sliver are African American and Latino, just like MSNBC goes the other way, right? And Tucker Carlson knew that, so that's why he always played that card. He 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 waved that flag of, you know, we got a problem on the border, we got a problem with Hispanics, we got a problem with blacks, we got a problem with women, we got a problem with Asians, blah, 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 Muslims, you know, go on and on. He had to do that to survive at Fox because that's your audience, right? It's almost like if, if, if you're going to uh, represent a, a, a team, New York Yankees, Dallas Cowboys, I don't know, Madrid, Real, I don't know. It, you can't go in there as an announcer working for that team and tell the fans how much their team sucks or how great the other team is. Right? So he was doing the team thing there at Fox, just like uh, this guy, you know, Don Lemon was doing the, the team thing, which is the problem we have in journalism today. It's not about what your audience wants to hear. It's about what's really happening. What's the damn truth, right? But here's the cool thing about Tucker Carlson, and here's why I admire him. Many of those people who Tucker Carlson was talking to, I don't know, some people would say angry white dudes in America, for the most part have always been very pro-war and let's get them and let's attack and let's kill the, you know, the Iraq war was built by Fox News and angry white men. We got to go get those Muslims. We got to go now into Afghanistan and we got to do this and we got to kill those and we got to sanction this guy, American exceptionalism. We're the greatest. Tucker Carlson actually talked to those people and presented ideas to them that were different from that thinking. Tucker Carlson was. Actually, so for everything, I have a problem with Tucker Carlson because he was, you know, Mr. White Nationalist in some ways with his messaging. On the other side, he also told his audience, and is the only one who ever did, you know what, maybe we shouldn't be in Afghanistan. Maybe we shouldn't be in Iraq. Maybe your government is leading you astray. Maybe this whole thing in Ukraine is not the way it's being uh, painted. Maybe we shouldn't spend 103 billion dollars in some other country when we have schools here that don't even work and roads that are falling apart. That's a decent argument, and a lot of people who are part of his audience for the first time heard that. See, if if, if somebody at MSNBC had said that, they go, Ah, see, he's a communist. He hates his country. But Tucker said that to him, and they're like, Okay, kind of like Richard going to China, uh, Richard Nixon going to China, right? Nobody would have believed McGovern or some other Democrat if they had said, we need to sit down and talk to the Chinese. But when Richard Nixon went down and talked to the Chinese with Henry Kissinger, all of a sudden Americans said, okay, maybe we should talk to them. Wow, that was my Richard Nixon imitation. <laughs> so so it, it, that, So that. Tucker was able to do that. And, and I say, you know, good for him. I can't help but wonder if maybe that's part of the reason he's not on the air. I think it had more to do with the Dominion suit and the fact that the the Murdochs don't like him and he was having an ongoing war with them. But but that's what it is. Uh nonetheless. By the way. So there you go. Scotty's telling me they've both hired the same attorney. You know. That's kind of weird. What if uh, le- maybe Don Lemon and uh, Tucker Carlson are going to start a new channel? You know, left, le- le- left and right and et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? Uh, in the end, who cares? Really, who cares? There's bigger issues going on in the world than two guys who work in American television who were fired because one on the left, one on the right— And we can all sit here and pretend this is a soap opera and try and figure out why they were fired. But in the end, they're fired. They're moving on. Tucker Carlson says he might run for president. He might win. Uh, You know, Don Lemon will probably get a job as a local anchor in New York or Chicago or some other place like that because he's got name recognition and he's not a monster. Although I don't know when the media gets done with him, he may be. At this point, he's getting a lot more flack than the other guy is. That's where we are. By the way, I had a conversation this morning with uh, a gal who works for me and my wife. She works here at our house. She's a wonderful lady. She's been helping us, you know, maintain our house for years and years and years. And, um, and, And we got into a conversation because there's something happening right now, which is really, really important. And it has to do with sanctions. You see, we sanction a lot these days. We really do. But let me tell you what happened. So I'm talking to Gloria, and apparently there's this news story where President Biden is now meeting with the president of Colombia. The president of Colombia's name is Gustavo Petro. Petro is basically telling Joe Biden, look, you guys need to lift the sanctions on Venezuela. And I get it. Colombia has a border with Venezuela. Half of Venezuela is now in Colombia. It's a problem for Colombia. The, the Venezuelan economy is affecting Colombia. It's like if you have a country next to you and that country has people coming over the border every day, oops, isn't that what happens sometimes according to some people with Mexico and the United States? But either way, it would be smart to fix the economy of that country. And I think what Petro is saying to Joe Biden is you, you can't fix the economy of Venezuela by sanctioning Venezuela. The sanctions that you're putting on Venezuela are hurting the people and creating more problems for them and their economy. Just like what we did with Cuba for 50 or 60 years. Sanctions and embargoes and punish and destroy and do everything because they don't think like us. And I just, I'm, listen, I'm a big proponent that a country has a right to think how it wants to think and create and let them learn. You want Cuba to be a capitalist country? Send in Coca-Cola and Levi's. You don't put an embargo on them. You want Venezuela to suddenly become an economy that wants to share in uh, the U.S.'s market thinking? Send in American products. Send in American companies. But instead, no, we're going to punish them. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to freeze their assets. We're not going to let them be a part of the... Com- See, I, I, I'm not sure that's smart. And that's what this dude Petro is saying. So Gloria, who is a wonderful woman who works for Suzanne, and, who works with Suzanne and I here at our house, and uh, she's been with She's like part of our family. She says to me this morning, "Can you believe that our president, she's Colombian? Can you believe that our president, this guy Petro, is actually saying we should lift the embargo on or or the sanctions on Venezuela?" And then she was shocked when I said, "Gloria, he's right. He's absolutely one hundred percent right. I, it, it's time that our country stops being." the cowboy or police of the world through sanctions and castigations. And and we need to stop doing that in in, in Venezuela, and we need to stop doing that all over the world. You know what it's doing? It's making other countries, when we put a sanction on China, and then we put a sanction on Russia, and then we put a sanction on Iran, and then maybe uh, some other country in the Middle East, those countries, you know what they do? He said, who the hell do those guys think they are? Let's put our forces together and build our own trade network. Maybe build our own currency, because we're tired of them telling us what to do. And, you know, maybe we'll get the Indians over here. Yeah. You know, maybe the Modi government or maybe uh, some other large countries will join us. And then we'll have a system to go up against the U.S. system and... I don't want this to happen. I think our system and our ability over the last century to be able to help the world manifest itself has been decent and good as long as we don't overplay our hand. And by overplaying our hand, that's where you become the bully in the playground. When everybody has to play by your rules and everybody has to do what you say and you start sanctioning, every country and every company and every person, and you start arresting uh, the daughter of the CEO of Huawei or the founder of Huawei, when you do those kinds of things, it starts coming back at you. I mean, what's a sanction? A punishment, an economic punishment, pronouncing to the world that country X or person X is not allowed to be a part of this international playground. That means the other kids are not allowed to play with them. You cannot be friends with Jimmy because we said Jimmy's a bad guy. You cannot be friends with Russia because we said Russia's a bad guy. You cannot be friends with Iran. You cannot be friends with Madagascar. You cannot be friends with Venezuela. You cannot be friends... After a while, you got so many enemies that they start coming together. That's part of the problem, I think, that we have right now. And and, and, and it... uh, it, 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 it bothers me because um, I think we're creating a problem for ourselves, just like we did in Cuba, just like we're doing in Venezuela. And we're doing that now in the Chinese or the Asian corridor with countries like... We're, we're putting, for example, Australia in a difficult situation, and Malaysia and Japan. By, by creating this rift around China, not to mention with military exercises. So I want to have a conversation with somebody I think understands this. He's a uh, professor at American University. He's written several books um, on how the United States positions itself. In fact, one of the best documentaries that I've ever seen done is uh, about the history of the United States, done by none other than Professor Peter Kuznick, who uh, I have the pleasure of having this conversation with about this very issue, about sanctions and and kind of where they're leading us. Take a listen. You know, it's interesting that uh, these sanctions smack of Cold War mentality, and yet we're hearing from leaders like President Biden that we want nothing to do with a Cold War. We're not in a Cold War. We don't want a Cold War with China or Russia or anybody. You know, it seems like the words are good, but the actions are different, no?
3: Yeah, the words are going one direction. The <laughs> practices, the actions go a different direction. I, I, would, I would pay attention to the actions more than the words. <laughs> I, I think but so. The, but The Cold War, our economies were not so integrated. You know it's a different world that we're in now. That's and, uh, a... <laughs> globalization has really changed the world. And now we're seeing instead a lot of economic nationalism. You know we've got first of all the sanctions that you're talking about. We also have tariffs and we have the Europeans are balking at a lot of American trade policies recently as well. So uh, th- these things have repercussions and they blow back and they have effects. And sometimes we see it very strongly. I was out in California recently and some of those gas stations were selling regular gas at 675 a gallon. Hmm. You know this is outrageous. It's come down a little since then. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it has an impact on the United States and it has an impact on other countries. We're saying sanctions as seems like a humanitarian alternative to war. But it often has the same impact as war as we know. And I think it's a great example. Uh, just a couple decades ago mm-hmm. when Madeleine Albright was asked by a reporter, she said, you know, people are estimating that these sanctions on Iraq have caused the deaths of a half a million children. Is it worth it? And Madeleine Albright says, yes, we think it's worth it. Oh. So these do these do have wow. real effects, real humaneness. She said humanitarian she, she,
0: she really she really said that, huh? She said that. Yeah, late 1990s, yes. My goodness. You know, I can't help but wonder if the United States recognizes the impact that this is having. It's it's one thing to be mean to your little brother until one day you realize that your little brother's all screwed up because of it, and your dad and your mom talk to you and say, look, take it easy on Junior. The United States, it seems, treats other countries in many ways. Our country treats other countries like they're juniors, like they're kids, like we need to castigate them, punish them, do whatever we need to do with them. But my question is, do they not know that the other countries will eventually, like always happens, come together and fight that
3: by hurting you? Well, we believe that we're so economically and militarily and morally, you know, dominant that nobody's going to be able to challenge us. But we see that's the opposite. It's having the opposite effect. Our sanctions policy as well as because as, it's part of a broader approach to the world and the U.S. approach to the world is that it's no longer the global war on terror. It's no longer international terrorism. That's the main threat to us is Russia and China. And that was that changed in 2018 with our new uh, security strategy. Mm-hmm. We hoped that when Biden came to office he was going to break with so many of the regressive policies of the Trump administration. And sadly he's done the opposite. And when it comes to China the trade war the sanctions policy seeing it as a hostile competitor rather than a friendly competitor. uh, Biden has enforced the worst of the Trump policies. You know looks a lot like a Cold War right.
0: Don't actions matter more than words, like Professor said? And I guess we could say that a Cold War is a lot like uh, the story about the duck, right? Somebody might say that uh, it's not a duck. And then somebody else is going to say, but wait a minute. If it walks like a duck and it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Joining us now to continue this uh, conversation is uh, Professor Peter Kuznick, Professor of History at American University, co-author of the untold history of the United States. Um, Yeah, there's no question it's a duck, right?
3: Well, I won't duck that one. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, it's a duck, but we don't know if it's a Cold War duck. You know, in a lot of ways this is different than the last Cold War. But the danger is that we're dividing the world again. Mm. And when it comes to sanctions which we started with most of the world is not going along with you as sanctions against russia why is that you know the u.s is still the dominant economic power we're certainly the dominant military power 800 bases almost around the world still But we outspend the next half dozen or more countries when it comes to military but countries are not going along with it. Well, there's still, well let, let me stop you there. There's two kinds of countries. There's the countries,
0: use India as an example, who are, are looking at both sides of the story and they're saying, there are two sides to the story. There's not just one side to the story. And when I watch reports from India, I see smart, more analytic portrayal of this crisis that we all want to see end, right? But in the Uh, Western media, you only get this side is bad, that side is good, end of story. The other part of this, uh, Professor, which I think we realize is, there are those, even in Europe, who want to see this come to the end, because they just, you know, they don't want to freeze to death. It's, you know, it's humanistic
3: almost for them, no? Uh, well, I did a show on in Indian TV this morning. The Indians certainly see this differently. Mm-hmm. Much, much of the world sees it differently. They say the United States is so moralistic when it comes to the Russian invasion. But what about all of America's invasions yeah. that we were talking about? But I'm glad you know we learned the lesson because all those countries that are so upset about this sanctioned us so badly it hurt the American economy. Right. You know there's not, you turn on the American mass media right? mm-hmm. and they're all pro sanctions and, and, and weapons giving weapons. Uh, but they have no sense you know that the United States wars take Vietnam. When Robert McNamara came into my class he told my students that he accepts that 3.8 million Vietnamese died in that war. 3.8 million. Hmm. Now, I think this Russian invasion of Ukraine is horrendous. I think it is illegal, immoral, unconscionable. But we have to have some sense of pr- proportion when it comes to these things. And and what's happened there, 100,000 dead Ukrainians, or maybe even a little more than that, and maybe an equal number of russians this is heartbreaking and what's going on to the poor people in ukraine is heartbreaking but it is not the worst thing that's ever happened yeah. so they say always you know the the worst war, the most, w- worst violence in europe since world war 2 yeah it is and that's true but it's but if we say the worst violence in the world mm. we would have to look at some of the other things that you mentioned earlier yeah but we don't have perspective
0: you know, uh, it's only well, the, so, so in other words, it's only the worst violence in Europe since World War II because the United States has not attacked a European country?
3: Well, not exactly.
0: C- well, the reason, No, I mean, the reason <laughs> I'm saying that is because we did attack Iraq, and we did attack Afghanistan, and we have attacked other places. I guess the
3: only reference point I have is Bosnia. And, you know, that's, that's the main one. But the United States has not engaged in a Cold War in Europe that almost turned into a hot war on many occasions. Hmm. And we just commemorated the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean there have been a lot of times when we've come close. But fortunately cooler heads prevailed in those situations. There is no guarantee that's going to happen in this case. Let me ask you a question that or make the point that I was making before we went to break, because you said
0: something that made me click. I'm a journalist, I know this profession, and I know when everything, everything changed for us. And it was the, 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 during the drumbeat to the war in Iraq, Fox News and a fellow named Roger Ailes, who's uh, since passed, who I knew very well, and he tried to hire me on many occasions to go work at Fox News, so he and I used to have a lot of meetings, but he's the guy who told his journalists that from now on, when referring to the upcoming war in Iraq or anything having to do with that, it's we. So journalists had to change the word, which we used, we were taught, you know, as journalists to use the word, U.S. forces say, or the Pentagon says, or according to General Such and Such, it was no longer that. It's now we and them. So he made. His Fox News anchors go on the air every day and say, we need to do this, and we are angry that Iraq is killing people, and we must do this. So by changing that one little word, and then everybody else, CNN, NBC, CNN said, oh God, if we don't do the same thing they're doing, then we're gonna be called traitors, literally, because they were. So the whole yeah. entire media started, they stopped reporting about the United States, as observ- neutral observers, which is what we are trained to do in college, and literally they became cheerleaders, participants in the run-up, sort of speak. I'm telling you, uh, Peter, that, that's where it all changed, and it hasn't stopped since.
3: And, and it was that, and then you guys were all wearing your uh, American flag lapel pins. Remember and it well. Then they, then they brought on all of the experts. And did they ever bring on a single anti-war person? Uh, in fact, the one, the one person who was a regular, had a regular show, was critical of the invasion of Iraq, was Phil Donahue. Mm-hmm. And he got fired. Yeah. And they said, we can't have him on NBC uh, to criticizing the war when everybody else is waving the flag. Mm-hmm. And then they brought out all these retired admirals and generals. And we didn't know at the time that they were getting daily marching orders from the Pentagon. And they were all on the payroll of the defense contractors. And did anybody ever mention that there was a conflict of interest? They were profiting off of this war and killing people. It, it didn't get mentioned. Well, as a matter of fact, I mean, whether
0: we're talking about sanctions or, for for example, the situation in Ukraine, um, nobody here. I don't think anybody in their right mind says we want to proliferate the situation in Ukraine in any way. But. I have been watching a lot of news lately and what you just described hasn't changed I've seen Petraeus and I've seen many other former generals who now work specifically they're paid by defense contractors, I, I, you just Google them. The next time you watch TV and you see somebody being interviewed as an expert on military defense, Google them and you'll find that somebody's writing them a giant check for, for, for who is a military contractor. And when Anderson Cooper or Rachel Maddow or Sean Hannity or any of these people on TV in the United States interview them, they don't say that. They, they don't tell you the guy that you're, is talking to you has a position is being paid to have that position. My god, if nothing else, that's just shoddy journalism, Professor.
3: It's shoddy journalism. And the Americans, But we think in this country, naively, that we've got a free press. And in some sense, we do. Because we can go on, you know, I'm not going to get put in jail for saying the things that I say that are critical of the American government. But it doesn't mean that I have access to the media if i'm going to take a position and say things that challenge the view of american hegemony american empire american exceptionalism militarism you know so when i when i talk to you or when i do interviews around the rest of the world mm-hmm. i mean i'm a mainstream media constantly around the world but never in my own country Isn't that weird because i'm going I'm to question the wisdom of American policy. But that's what they're supposed but that's what they're supposed to do. That's what
0: I was trained to do. That's what the reporters during the Vietnam War did. That's what Dan Rather and Brinkley and Huntley and 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 all of these guys did and they were the greatest journalists of our time. And and they asked the questions and they criticized the Johnson administration and they criticized what was going on during Vietnam because that's what journalism is all about to, to, to criticize what we're doing and say we need to do it a little differently or ask whether it works makes you a good journalist and further, I would argue, a real
3: patriot. I, I totally agree. And I make this point all the time on Russian TV. I say that you should prize the dissenters. They are the best patriots. They are the best citizens. You should encourage dissent. I say it on Chinese TV also, that you should encourage dissent. Don't be so afraid of dissent. And that those are the real patriots. Uh, But, you know, it doesn't necessarily break through there either. It's important. uh, It's important. And
0: and and, uh, as usual, uh, Professor Peter Kuznick, thanks for taking time to chat with us and spending part of your uh, afternoon with us today. This is important stuff, and I'm glad we had a chance to talk to you. Thank you, Rick. You know, when it comes down to this conversation I just had with Professor Kuznick, um, it really comes down to us shaking the Cold War mentality that we still seem to have. And I just have to say that um, it worries me with uh, President Biden announcing now that he will be running for another term. With all due respect to President Biden, my president, this guy lives in the 1950s. This guy's thought processes of are a, a, a bygone era. We don't need to think that way anymore. It's, we're not on the brink of a nuclear war. Well, I guess you could be at any time because there are nuclear weapons out there. But it's, it's almost like everything is a Cold War mentality. It, it's... Like, we're back to Korea, a war we lost. We're back to Vietnam, a war we lost. We're back to that thinking that we need to get beyond. You know, whether it's with uh, President Xi or uh, President Putin or, uh, you know, the Ayatollahs, or uh, I don't care. I mean, you got to talk to these people. We got to talk to these people. We got to find a way to be able to not let them become superior to us because, as uh, have we learned from Don Lemon, you can't win a conversation by just beating up your opponent and punishing him. In fact, in the end, as Don Lemon found out, you'll lose. I'm Rick Sanchez. I'm a Latino. I got this podcast I like to talk about the things that are going on in our world that are important. And I like to talk to people who oftentimes you won't get a chance to hear from or share ideas that oftentimes you won't get a chance to hear. And that's what we do. And it's called the Rick Sanchez podcast. Every day that we put out this podcast, it's getting more and more people listening. So thank you. And do me a favor. Share it with friends. If you think there's people who may want to hear something like this that's so different from the common currency of uh, ideas and ideologies out there, maybe a little more down the middle, share it with them. I'd approve, <laughs> and I certainly would appreciate it. Thank you, my friends. Thanks for being with us, and as we like to say here on The Rick Sanchez Show, dolly!